Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Welcome, everybody. My name is Stevie Kim. I almost uh, missed my train from Milan today. Almost didn't make to the train. I mean, I guess I could have done it on the train, but it's a spotty connectivity. My name is Stevie Kim, and this is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. And I see Laika. I don't know if I think Joy's back. I just saw her. She's back. She has fully recovered from COVID. Ciao, Bev. Hello. Hi. How are you? Fine. I'm wishing I was in Italy. It's um, been raining for the last day and it's about 14 degrees. So I envy you all. Oh my God. I tr- I'll trade you that 14 degrees. It's so, I'm really bad with heat. So I've been, I did my 20,000 steps today going into Milan, coming back. Helping these like ladies, two old ladies who got lost in Verona. I was trying to help them find their BNB. Anyways, so Bev, where are you? You're in Edmonton? Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, yes. Yeah. Because you actually have an interesting story. You went through the Maestro program. Do you do you want to tell everybody what that, that was like? And you did it with um our ambassador. Uh, Marcia Ham. Yeah, Marcia Ham. I, and I thought that was really great. It was case in point that if when you're prepared, you go through the Maestro program when you, and you come to the ambassador program, then you kind of have an edge. You have an advantage. Um, tell us what that was like. Well, the Italian Maestro program was, I finished that in December of 2019 before the world changed. And it was mm-hmm. taught by my friend and mentor, Marcia Ham, who is a Italian wine expert. And she taught the class. And my other classmate was Gabby Russo, who also successfully completed the ambassador program in Verona this year. Oh, I didn't, I did not realize that. So Gabby was your classmate. Yes. And because we used the same textbook, um, Grapes Unplugged, and we were familiar with the format of Vin Italy, it was a significant advantage going into the ambassador program. So, Bev, you are actually retired, right? Yes, I am. So you have plenty of time to dedicate now. I'm so excited that you're retired because now you will have more time for Italian wine. Well, I will be returning to Verona um, to work 
to go for my expert level next year. So I've already started studying. Oh my God, that's so fantastic! I love it. I love that you're doing that. Okay. All right. So are you studying now? Ready? Yes, I am. I've been reviewing my notes. To, you should come to some Gita Scolastica. I would love to go to Campania because、um, I love Italy, and my husband and I will be returning there in September to do some cycling. And then go to Puglia. So okay, so you should stay. I mean, it's in October. I can't remember dates, but you should reach out to、um, Jacopo or Cynthia. I will do that. Okay, would be lo- lovely to have you back. So、um, you're a cyclist. What like is it like?、Um, what kind of cycling? Is it mountain bike? Is it like、um, tourism? It will be going from Verona to Croatia. Oh my God! On a bike? Yes, it's not that bad, actually.、Um, Holy crap! So you're like a serious cycler? No, not really. There, it's quite punctuated, and I'm sure we'll have a few wine stops along the way. But the entire、um, journey on a bike? Yes, it's only seven days. Oh my goodness! Well,、uh, listen, congrats. Well, I know some people in Croatia. You should. We'll hook up later. I'll tell you who you can ping. Okay, thank you. Okay. All right. So let's listen. Let's go on to the show. So, so、uh, Bev, tell us why you have chosen Chiara Condello today in the Ambassadors Corner to have this call today. Well, I enjoy her wines, and I really respect the process in which they're made. And we seem to have a recurrent theme here. Last Tuesday, another Chiara Innocente was、uh, interviewed, and we also、um, Cedric interviewed Frank Cornelissen for the biodynamics. So I think she is a blend of them all.、Um, Chiara's wines are made in the Romagna half of Emilia Romagna, and they aren't easy to find in my area. And I. I find her wines refreshing, expression of Sangiovese, and it's much different from the Sangiovese Grosso in Tuscany to the south. And this Sangiovese is a smaller grape with a bigger bunch, or sorry, smaller bunch and a bigger name,、um, Sangiovese da Canella Piccolo Prodapio. Yeah, say that three times fast. Well, yeah, I said it's a small grape <laughs> with a big name, and I see Chiara's wine. In the opening chapters of a long story of remarkable winemaking, she's just starting, and there seems to be this recurrent theme in Italian winemaking of the prodigal daughter who has a different life direction and a career path, but is drawn back to the vineyard. And Chiara is one of those who left a bright career with much educational investment to return home. And before I received、um, some for wine to drink, I of course googled her. Like everybody Google's things, and as a neophyte winemaker, she was earning accolades from Vina Italia 2020 and 2021 by Gambero Rosso. She was awarded Slow Wine、um, Awards, and her bottles、um, found their place on the wine list of Mira Azur in Menton, France, which is a three-star Michelin restaurant. So、oh, my curious. Yes, that's quite a lot、But、of accomplishments. She, I'm so surprised because she's a tiny producer, right? And she makes it all the way way, way out to Edmonton. Well, that's another story、um, of how how I discovered her wines. It、mm-hmm. goes back to the network of Italian wine experts, and there's so few Italian wine experts globally. However, here in my province of Alberta, Canada, there's three of them. Yeah. There's a high concentration of、um, Italian wine experts. 
Yeah, so it's Gravinder, Corinne, and uh, Marcia. Yeah, yes, and all three of them are very dedicated to Italian wines and work hard to promote them and spread the love of it. Um, Gravinder had organized a virtual tasting of Chiara's Sangiovese's um, Prodapio and her Reserva La Lucchiole, forgive my pronunciation, and her olive oil. So for this virtual tasting, um, participants received the wines, and it was paired with a lunch by Range Road, one of our local restaurants, who supports farm-to-table, small producers, sustainable organic food. So it was a beautiful match of kindred spirits. And I felt so fortunate to be able to buy a bottle of Lucchiole because production is limited to only three to 4000 a year. Oh, my goodness. You so that alone at home. Um, I have friends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thanks to a lot of the work of our Italian wine experts here, they really go out of their way to find small producers of quality wine and promote them and champion them. And I think Kiara is well-deserving of this. You know, I love that. I love this story, this anecdote, because, you know, sometimes, you know, we work so hard here and and people come and do the course, but then we're like, oh my God, I, I, I'm not sure that everybody understands to the extent of our our desire, you know, to the, the, to have the community grow, not just by us, initiated by us, but amongst the members. And this is really, really, I love hearing these kind of stories. So listen, Bev, um, I'm going to hand it over to you now, and maybe um, I'm going to mute myself and then come back perhaps towards the end if there are any Q&As. Okay. okay. Thank you, Stevie. Okay. Ciao. Ciao. Hi, Kiara. How are you? Hi. Hello. I'm very good. How about you? Fine. You are still working in the cellar and vineyard when I spoke with you a few hours ago. Yeah, actually just stopped. Um, now it's summer, it's super warm, so it's great to take advantage of the most the fresh hours to work in the vineyard. So early morning and late afternoon are blessed hours to work in the vineyards. I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about you, okay? Mm-hmm. Chiara was born in Forli, Romania the eastern half of Emilia-Romana, and she comes from um, a few generations of people working with wine. Um, Her grandfather, great-grandfather, forgive me, worked with Zabibo Wines in Calabria, and her grandfather and father have worked with wines in um, Romania, and her dad, Francesco Condello, has an adjoining property, Condé Vineyards, as well as Borgio Conde Wine Resort and Spa. And it looks fabulous. I would love to stay there. Um, Chiara studied business in Bologna and completed a master's degree. However, during a gap between commencing a business position and graduation, she spent time at home in the vineyards with the family. And Pradapia is um, in southeastern Romania, just above La Marche in Tuscany. It's a little town of 6,100, and it's in the foothills of the Apennines. So Bologna and the business world was put on hold, and um, she commenced working on the family vineyard. Chiara eventually acquired 10 acres of her own vineyard and started producing under her own label, Chiara Candelo. Her first vintage was in 2015. So Chiara? Yeah? 
there's something unique because any of us who study wine are always interested in the dirt in the soil. And you've got a very unique limestone in your area, the Spurgione limestone. Can you tell me about it? Yes. So basically to understand uh, my wine, so to understand my job, we have to start from the position where I am. Because basically I'm uh, in uh, Romagna, in Predapiud, um, which is up in the Apennine Mountains, let's say in between Bologna, Florence and the Adriatic Sea. And nowadays I'm up on the hills. But three million years ago, where now I have the vineyard, there was the Adriatic Sea. So the soil has been strongly influenced by the presence of the sea. And when the land went out of the water, what was the undersea level? So shells, fossils, corals, the sand, everything was transformed into a big rock because of the calcar. And this big rock is called the spungone. And uh, the spungone is uh, um, the rock which is strongly characterizing my land and my vineyards. It looks beautiful. I've only seen pictures, but it's very yellow, and you can still see the seashells in it. Yeah, you can still see the seashells. You can see all the fossils, which is amazing, because you can walk in my vineyards and see the fossils of three million years ago, and it's full of that. So it's interesting also to really see that, because it's also visually clear how it how it has been formed this, that we have here. And of course, the spungone is affecting a lot than the characteristic of the soil. When I first tasted your Sangiovese, what caught me off, besides the bright, beautiful color, was um, the saline tang at the end of sipping. It felt like it was something that could have been grown on the coast. Yeah, there's a huge link, of course, always in of the wine with the place where it's grown. And uh, all the wines that I produce, no matter if there's more spungone or a little bit less, but all the wines that are produced um, have this uh, little salty, mineral salty taste, uh, which is, of course, linked uh, also to the, to the soil where the vineyards are grown. Yeah. Okay. How does your Sangiovese Prodapio, the little piccolo, differ from, in the vineyard, from Sangiovese Grosso? Okay, so um, actually, when I, where I'm from, so Predapio is a place that has a huge history linking uh, the place with the Sangiovese. And in this very, like, century-old history, uh, an important part has always uh, been in the Sangiovese, because here in Predapio we still grow the Sangiovese, the native kind of Sangiovese, which is, yeah. as you said correctly, um, a Sangiovese piccolo. The, the full name, as you said, is a long name, is a big name, because it's called Sangiovese dal Cannello Piccolo di Predapio. But basically, this means that it is a, um, a smaller Sangiovese compared to the Tuscan one. So you can consider um, that both the bunches and the berries are slightly smaller compared to the Tuscan one. So um, there's uh, in total uh, more skin compared to the juice. And so the wines, of course, are influenced by that as well. And to me, it is important to continue preserving uh, this, na this native variety and to 
continue working with that. From what I was reading about your area is this has been growing and there were laws about the production of this since 1383 in your area. So it's yeah. a very long history. Yes, actually, um, Predacchio is a place that has always been linked with the wine production. Uh, and the first uh, important thing that we have, which to me is astonishing every time that I think about that, is the fact that uh, in 1383, we already had all the written rules about how to produce wine. So already in 1383, there were all the written laws about how to manage the vineyard, how to prune the vineyard, how to pick the grapes, how to vinify, how to uh, sell the wine, because of course that was the base of uh, also the economy of the little village of Predacchio. And what it's incredible is that already in 1383, um, everything was in the direction of the high quality of the wine. For example, there was the ban de vendange, so people were not allowed to start picking the grapes before the council of the ancient people has decided that the grapes were ripe. So if you think that this was a written law in 1383, I think it's really highlighting how important it is uh, the viticulture for productive for my place, how they are deeply linked. Um, Kiara, when did they stop having town council? announce the harvest dates? I think a century ago. Uh, even if, uh, of course, the maturation is always important, I think that now we don't get any fine if we pick uh, before. <laughs> but I think that all the producers now are actually really conscious about the importance of uh, picking at the right, uh, um, uh, the right ripeness of the grape. Okay, so Chiara, you are doing organic, so can you tell us how you deal with fertilization, weed, and pest control organically? I was looking at your Instagram a few weeks ago, and it looked like you were making a dandelion soup and spraying it over the vineyard. What was that? Yeah, so uh, my approach is um, can be summarized as very respectful. I have a lot of chance because in the place where I am, there's a lot of biodiversity. There's a lot of natural biodiversity. So my vineyard are surrounded by the forest. I'm just the beginning of the Foresteca Sentinesi, so of the natural um, UNESCO heritage forest of Italy. And my vineyard are surrounded by the forest and by other cultivations. So basically, I work in an environment which is characterized by this high um, natural biodiversity. So my way of working has always been trying to respect that richness uh, that I'm lucky to work in. And uh, the idea to me has always been to see the vineyard as in a bigger environment. And uh, I work organic since the very beginning. So... Of course, probably I'm telling just obvious things, but there's no chemical herbicides, no chemical pesticides, uh, no chemical feeding to the soil. Uh, what they do in the vineyard is just um, uh, working the vineyard by hand in a very attentive way. So every plant to me is uh, a little person that has to be helped every year to reach its best. 
And um, my idea of working is following that. So I only use some uh, sulfur and copper in the vineyards for the pest control. And then I've developed also a lot of infusions or preparation that we do here in, uh, in the winery. You've seen the one uh, that they do with the dandelion. Yeah. This is an infusion um, that they do. Every spring, I pick the dandelion uh, that are here around the, the estate. So we pick the dandelion, we let them dry, and then we prepare uh, an infusion that then we use to spray in the vineyards. And we usually do that in between the fourth and fifth leaf and after the uh, when there's flowering. And this is just one of the examples of uh, things that we do. Then, of course, we also use some other herbs and some other flowers and some preparation. But the idea is always the same as uh, the, the one that we were talking about, which can be applied also to the soil. The idea is to work in the most respectful way possible. So not to... Not to uh, work too much, not to pull the plant when you want it to go, but just to follow the natural way of expressing of the plant and trying to so, uh Wow. Yeah. That seems very labor intensive. Kiara, I'm not a technical person, but I think we each of us have to mute when the other is talking. Thank you, love. Um so you also use green and old manure? Is that correct? And where do you obtain this? Do you have animals in the area to get this green and mature manure for fertilization? So um, I have uh, an agreement. I don't use manure every year. It's needed uh, by the, the vineyard. But if needed some help, uh, I use the manure, which is horse manure, that um, I take from... Um, uh, a person who has uh, the, the horses that is giving it to me. So I don't have the animals myself in the property, in the vineyard, but I have agreement with the local um, farmers who help me in finding that. So uh, it's not produced by me, but I know exactly how it is uh, managed, how it is produced. So a local farmer, well, I guess it takes a village to make some wine, doesn't it? Yeah, it helps. <laughs> so what were you doing in your vineyard today? What was the priority task for you? So now the priority is to balance the canopy. Um, we had a very uh, strange season that started a little bit late. Beautiful, because I had the bad break uh, uh, in April. And mm -hmm. then what happened is that uh, we had uh, quite a lot of rain uh, three weeks ago, more or less, and then a lot of sun and warm. So the vineyards are really, really, really uh, running and pushing. There's a lot of um, energy in the vineyards and plantation that is growing. So now they can take out the um, branches that are not needed and closing uh, the vineyard, giving vines to the row. Kiara, that is very, that seems like oh, so much work. How many people do you have helping you periodically or regularly in your own vineyard? So, helping me in the vineyards and with the Lala, who's helping me with all the papers in the office. 
and um, also doing uh, helping me with some tastings if needed. Uh, but then in my family estate, we are much more. So it depends. Uh, in my own little winery, we are not a lot of people because we can do everything uh, in a small scale for the moment. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of a lot of uh, job, as you said. Yes, there is. Uh, Chiara, I remember from the virtual tasting that Gravinder organized, you were talking about the orientation of your vineyards on the hills. Now, can you tell me which direction they faced? Because I found that very interesting. So I've everything planted uh, at uh, Ritocchino. Okay. Uh, it means that the vineyards, the row, and uh, all my vineyards are exposed to north and east. North position that actually uh, in the past were not seen as the position, but that now with the uh, climate I mean, actually more and more interesting because now I think that the main challenge for uh, the agriculture in general and for us as winemakers in particular is how to manage, how to face the climate change because the climate is actually changing. Um, I was telling you before that my uh, grandfather was growing uh, vines and he was growing actually Sangiovese very close to where I'm making wine now in Bali but anyway the conditions were very very similar up on the hills 100% Sangiovese working for the quality and I found recently his notes that he took about 40 years ago uh, about, about one artist and actually the notes were um, about the fact that he was picking the grapes in October, so much later than me, and uh, he was having uh, um, sugar content that was lower <laughs> than mine. So he was picking later and he was having less alcohol in the wines. Nowadays, the harvest is becoming more and more earlier in the season. Um, so everything is actually changing a lot. And this to me is the biggest thing that we have to manage in the future. Wow. Chiara, um, you don't, you use indigenous yeast and still your Sangiovese hits 14%. Do you think excess alcohol might be a problem in the future? And what is the maximum, according to the consorzio, that you can have for alcohol? So, of course, the issue of the growing alcohol content in the wine is something that uh, um, as one producer, we are uh, facing a little bit, every one of us, because depending on the areas where we are, but everyone is now going in a direction of highest alcohol content. So I think that it's very, very, very important to work trying to limit that. There are different ways that we can use. Of course, we cannot do a uh, If the season uh, is warmer, the alcohol, but there are different little things that we can do to control that a little bit that we are trying to, to, to experiment, to try to see. Um, because as you said, I just work with indigenous yeast. So you only do indigenous yeast fermentation. At the moment, I have not had any problem linked to that. So all my fermentations 
at the moment went right to the end. There was not uh, any block because of the too high alcohol content, also because uh, my alcohol, the maximum I had, it was 15.5. So still very, very reasonable. Uh, for sure, if this is the trend, the problem in the future years uh, will increase, uh, especially in the areas that are warmer than where I am and for the vineyards that are exposed uh, south or that have a warmer area. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, um, I think it's in to um, uh, to find a way to trying to compensate that. So starting from the vineyard, starting to have a slightly different approach nowadays is no more a problem of concentrate the grape. It's more a problem of keeping the acidity, keeping the elegance, and so also the approach in the vineyard should change. You now, so should not more. Uh, in my case, I am not working for the, working for the elegance. And uh, the same uh, can be the little things uh, in the cellar, of course. So, for example, if you do entire grape fermentation, the stem are lowering a very little bit, but they are lowering a little bit the, the alcohol. Really? You know, I did not know that, Chiara. So, stem inclusion can lower the alcohol. Yes, and a very... I love... Yeah. Uh, really significant... But you can have 0.2, 0.3 less. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. Wow. Thank you. I learned something new. Chiara, I love the acidity of your Sangiovese. It starts off almost like this dusty, valuable cherry finish. And then right at the end, you get this saline pomegranate cranberry acidity punctuation right at the end. It's beautiful and it is so food friendly. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy you you find that also because these are some of the characteristics of the Sangiovese that I grow here. I'm always trying to make uh, wines that are the pure expression of my vineyards every year. Like the fact that my wines are very representative of what is Predaccio. And you pointed out some of the aspects that to me are um, a constant in the Sangiovese from Predaccio. So the elegance, uh, um, the acidity and this uh, uh, salty mineral finish touch, which are actually characterizing my area. Wonderful. So, Chiara, since the harvest, the, the gro- sorry, the growing season was a little delayed this year, have the vines caught up or do you think you will have a slightly later harvest because of it? No, I think it will have an earlier harvest. Actually, what happened? was that I got a late but break. But then um, in the last month, in May, we had rain and we had a lot of warm. So that the vineyard basically um, 
they have done in two weeks what they usually do in one month. So they've grown a lot. There was a lot of, um, let's say, uh, energy that the vineyard took from the light, from the heat, and from the water. So nowadays, my vineyards are already finished the flowering and uh, can already see the, the, the little grapes. So I can foresee if, of course, we are still at the beginning of the season. Eh? So I don't want to um, go too far away. Uh, with my forecast, but at the moment, I would say that it will be quite an early harvest, actually. Even um, if the season, as you said, started uh, quite late. So, Kiara, what week did you harvest last year? So, last year, I harvested in September. It was quite a uh, classical vintage. Last year, it was uh, a slightly particular vintage because we got the spring frost. Uh, that has taken part of my vineyards, especially the lowest part and the most cold uh, parcel. Um, so it was a vintage that started uh, um, with this first stock that was uh, this pink. I looked in quite a normal way during the season, but a very dry one. So after the spring frost, we got a very dry season. You can consider that I had here since uh, the beginning of the season till the harvest only which was actually nothing. And so last year the vineyards needed to cope. When I, I look at pictures of your area and some of the webcams, there seems to be quite common fog. And because of the Apennines, do you notice much of a diurnal temperature swing between um, day and night. Yeah, usually there are a lot of temperature. Uh, there's a lot of temperatures between between days and nights. I was um, telling you before we are in the middle, in between the Apennine Mountains and the Adriatic Sea. See, of course, so of course the fact that we are right, uh, we are leaving the contrast in between the cold part of the region, which are the mountains, this part of the region, which is the, the flat part, the Pianura Padana and the sea, makes mm -hmm. the production in quite a particular position. Because as is, we always had night and day different in the temperature, which is very important, with some exceptions, like there are some days where you don't have it uh, like as huge as normal because here normally you can also have 15 or even 20 degree different in, in the night and the day um, and uh, we also have always a little bit of ventilation so these two characteristics are of course influencing also the um, the vineyards and uh, the way the plants uh, uh, live because when you have a uh, a warm day, but at least if you have a colder night, a cooler night, then the plants can breathe. And uh, it's also important, as you probably know, for the perfumes in the wines, for the aromas. So these are two characteristics we feel a lot here in production, especially because of the position where we are. Well, your wines are wonderfully aromatic. Um, so what would you pair your Sangiovese with or your Lelucchio? Well, um, both my wines, I would say, that are quite easy to pair. And all of them are characterized by the, the fruitiness, this crunchy, 
that they have when they are young, but that they keep also when they are during their aging process. Uh, actually, I am vegetarian. So um, for me, the pairings are always in the direction of what I eat. But of course, uh, there are also very important uh, pairings also done with the meat. But to me, uh, I would say that the Predapio, so I only produce two wines, just to give an idea to the people. Uh, I only produce two wines, both Sangiovese 100%. The first is the Predapio, which is produced from three old vineyards, so all the parcels planted on clay. And the second one, which is Le Lucciole, which is a single vineyard from a vineyard planted on the rock. So the two wines are slightly different because the clay is making the wine um, a little bit more uh, deep, but at the same time with a softer tannins and a little bit lower acidity, while Le Lucciole has more structure, more acidity. So the pairing should go in that direction. I would say that the Predacchio, the classic Predacchio, is very gastronomic. So it can go easily, even with a little piece of cheese or pasta, or also these um, can really, really be easily paired. Um, while uh, is a wine that I love personally to pair with uh, mushrooms and truffle. <laughs> I know I'm spoiled because here is a region where there are, they grow a lot of mushrooms and especially we have a lot of white truffle. So this is a pairing that we can do quite easily. <laughs> well, Chiara, um, I'm a vegetarian as well. And um, this week I actually cooked up some pasta with four different mushrooms, um, oyster, king, criminy, and morel mushrooms over fettuccine with some cheese, and then had an appetizer of cherry tomatoes done in a Modena balsamic glaze. And your wine, your wine's just sang with it. It was wonderful. So I think there's a trend towards lighter style wines and lighter foods. But I want to know, how did your wine find its way to Menton and to a restaurant there? Um, well, my wines are distributed uh, very well. In, um, in different countries and uh, my importers, the people that are working with me are doing job because I don't produce a lot of bottle, as you said. So I sell my wine on a location. And to me, when I choose an importer that I, I want to work with, it's always important that he can be um, a great ambassador for my wine. Because um, I would love my bottles to be opened by the people that have the heart open to discover new wines. Because I think that my wines have them uh, are born with the idea of telling not only the story of what we do, but especially to tell what we have of unique here in Predaccio. And um, I have the chance to work with a great. uh, distributors around the world that I think that they are really ambassador, so they're really telling that story. And so it ends up that uh, then the wine arrives in great uh, wine list um, a little bit all around the world. Well, your people you have are all advocating for you, so they must really believe in the quality of your wine. And that I can get it here in Western Canada, to me, is an absolute privilege. Uh, Chiara, who designs your labels? So 
Um, the labels are designed by um, an artist. Someone is asking me if it's me making the label. Always no, I'm not so artistic in the painting. Uh, but it is a very good artist. She's called Francesca Ballarini. She's Italian. She's young. She knows a lot about viticulture, about wine, wine production. And I think that she's really, uh, she was able to get my feeling of the wine. So we work, um, on people that we change every year, always starting from something that happened during the vintage. So we try to take something that makes the label unique. I think that when you produce wine, like wine is anywhere form of art. And uh, it was nice to have the chance to put also on the label. And Francesca, she's really great. So I'm yes, happy yeah. that you asked that because I think that she's really um, a great artist. Oh, I see a fox on the label of um, La Lucchio. How do I say that properly? The fireflies. Can you pronounce it slowly for me, Chiara? Yes, of course. It's pronounced Le Lucciole. Le Lucciole. Yeah. And it means fireflies. I see a red fox on the label. Did you actually have a fox in the vineyard? It was in 2016. So you are drinking the 2016 or you have the 2016. During the August of 2016, there was a little fox that was actually uh, coming to the cellar every early morning and late night. You know, when we are harvesting, there's not really <laughs> a lot of uh, time. So we harvest, um, we open the cellar in the early morning. We harvest uh, from the early morning till the night. And so uh, when we were opening and closing the cellar, there was this little fox arriving uh, and stealing the grapes and eating the grapes. And at the beginning, she was super shy. And at the end of the harvest, after a few days, little by little, um, I started thinking about that she should be in the label. <laughs> well, if it so, was fermented um, grapes, maybe she was a little drunk. Okay. <laughs> probably. Um, all right. Chiara, since you started your own vineyard, I'm sure it has not always been smooth sailing. What has been your biggest challenge since your first vintage so what has kept you awake at night worrying well there are different things i think that something is something that you can never control uh and that you will have no matter if you are at the beginning or after many years that you produce wine which is the um, the climate like the, the weather um if you have hail or if you have the frost that you cannot control concern is uh, climate Especially now with uh, the changement that we have, we are facing more and more uh, strong things, uh, strong um, events. So for sure, the, the spring frost, the hail is something that is really scary. Uh, I think that's probably my biggest concern at the beginning was uh, trying to uh, make the wine that uh, I had in my mind, the bottle yet. So... I, I wanted uh, to to produce a wine that could really uh, be a pure interpreter of the place where I am and of these huge traditions that we have. So that was actually keeping me awake, but not in a negative way, in a positive way. Uh, at the beginning, what was also difficult was a little bit to find uh, the importers, the people that... Um, but I have to be sincere that it was quite lucky because this went on uh, very well and very smooth. 
Okay, Kara, two questions. Who is your winemaking idol? If you could study or go learn from one winemaker, who would it be? And what is the greatest wine you have yet to taste? Wow, so these are difficult uh, questions because I think there's not one answer for both of them. So I um, have different point of reference when I make wine. Um, I really have in my mind a different person when I think about the references that I want to do. I think that to me was important to, unfortunately I've not met him in person, but reading and listening the interview, trying to get in contact with Ari, it was very important for uh, uh, what I could learn. And to me, Burgundy as a place is very, very important uh, for different reasons, as it is uh, Piemonte, uh, for the, also for the link that they have with many producers uh, and also friends, so that they have a lot of exchange uh, with them in terms of uh, uh, approach, in terms of uh, works to do in the vineyard, in the cellar and everything. So um, I don't have one, only one um, point of reference. I have many, many, many of them. Of course, I have some wines that are memorable, uh, some bottles that will always be uh, in my heart. Um, for example, I used couple of weeks ago. It was uh, Abarolo from Giuseppe Mascarello, Francia 83. So it, it doesn't usually produce Francia, but in 83, he gets some grapes uh, from Francia Vineyard. And this is a wine that to me was just uh, incredible. And, but there are so many others. The wine that makes my heart skip a bit. <laughs> yes, wine should move you and connect you to a place and time. Kira, how can we visit your vineyards? Um, uh, almost alone. I, anyway, I have a lot of job to do in the vineyards and uh, in the cellar. Uh, I'm uh, the one making the visit. So if uh, I welcome someone, it's because I'm there and I can really welcome it and taking the time to show my job. So if possible, I will welcome the people in the winery with pleasure and the ways to send me an email. But I cannot guarantee every word, every time to, to be a yes. But uh, I will try. Okay. So um, your father, Francesco, has uh, the Conde Wine Resort next door. And how many people can that accommodate? Yeah, exactly. So my family has another the conduct, always here in Predapio. And my father uh, was one of the first really uh, believing in Sangiovese and Predapio. And I've actually uh, taken over from him this passion for the native variety and for the Sangiovese here in Predapio. And his other idea together with um, the Sangiovese was also to uh, give the people the opportunity to stay in Predapio and to visit uh, our area, which is beautiful. So he wanted to build up in the vineyard, the Relais. Uh, my family estate is slightly bigger than mine, even if it's also um, an artisan winery. But uh, in my family, we own a little bit more land. 
And so uh, when my father was buying uh, um, houses in with the vineyards and little by little, he has transformed that into a beautiful relais, which is now called the Borgo Conda. So it's for sure possible to come over, stay in Borgo Conda and be in the middle of my family estate. So really leaving the vineyards because my father wanted that every room had a view on the vineyards. <laughs> so no matter in which room you are, if you are in the main Borgo, so in the central Borgo, or in one of the villas that you have in the middle of the vineyards, so you will always be into the vineyards. <laughs> that sounds like a, a wonderful vacation. Um, well, thank you, Kiara. Stevie Kim, are you there? And do you have any questions for Kiara? Thank you, Mel, for the chat. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. I um, I love these Ambassadors Corner because it's also a chance. It's not completely altruistic. It's also a chance for me to get to know um, some winemakers who I've never met. And I've never had the pleasure of tasting Kiara's wine. Kiara, listen, I just, um, I was just Googling, of course, you know, the Google University is fantastic. And um, your wines, how much do they cost? I know they're, they're tiny. You make two wines. Luchole is a small quantity. How many bottles are you producing of the uh, Chiara Condello? And what are the retail prices of these? So um, I produce uh, more or less 4,000 bottles of Le Lucciole and about 20,000 of the Predacchio. And uh, the retail price, you mean for the States? Yeah, or, or Italy, whatever. Uh, okay, so you can say that my Predacchio one will be about 20 euro. And 20 euro, 20 dollars, let's say, more or less. And the Le Lucciole is around the 60. And then um, I only make only in certain vintages a selection of Le Lucciole, a third one, but so far I've just uh, released the 2018 and I've not made any 2019 uh, of a third one, which is always Sangiovese 100% because it's a selection of Le Lucciole, which is called the Stralisco. And uh, this is a, a very small uh, production with less than 1,000 bottles. And this uh, should be around uh, 100, 110 euro. Okay, so that's the one that I was seeing on Vivino, I guess. So, Because I was like, oh, these wines are kind of pricey. I don't know when I can try these. Listen, Chiara, so um, what is the main difference in terms of tasting profiles of your two wines? Yeah, so basically uh, the tasting profile reflects uh, the soil of the vineyards where they are planted because the Sangiovese is a very transparent variety, so it's uh, a big lens on the soil. The Predapio is born from uh, the clay, so it takes from the clay a little bit more deep fruit. So um, you can really feel... Um, the cherry, you feel the violet, you feel the most uh, rich part of the Sangiovese. While uh, on Le Luce, and of course, staying always talking about wines that are on the elegance, not on the extraction or the concentration. While on Le Lucciole, we are on the rock, so we are on a rocky soil, and this changes a lot the characteristic, the spectrum of the perfumes, because 
we start from a highest acidity and um, a more tannic structure that, of course, makes the wine a little bit more austere compared to the Predapio. And, uh, of course, it keeps the fruitiness, which is one of the characteristic Predapio, but it's also uh, um, integrated that uh, with uh, a more mineral, salty taste, the highest complexity, and it is also more long. So um, you were working at your dad's winery before, right, Conde? Yes, and I'm still working also there. So I'm also still okay. helping them in vineyards and cellar. So why did you decide you wanted to make a new winery? Because it's it's like right next to each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or it's an it's a new parcel, or I, I don't know. Yeah, it's different parts. Do you feel like you needed a new winery? Basically, because in 2015, I was working in my family estate for three years. Mm-hmm. Me and my dad, we had different ideas about the wines that we liked. And so, of course, we, we are producing slightly different wines. But what was actually uh, moving me to, to start my winery was not that, because I knew that my father would have passed me also my family estate sooner or later. Uh, but it was the fact that I found all the vines. I found some, the owners of that vineyards wanted to take them away. To me, it was a great uh, pity to lose uh, 50 years old vineyards. Mm-hmm. And my father, that was already everything in condemn, uh, didn't took them over. And to me, it was just a matter of saving these vines. So I take them over and that will be my weekend job. And then from one vineyard, they started and then I took two and then three. And then from the weekend job, actually my main job. So you actually started your own winery because you wanted to save a small land, small um, a parcel of old vines. Yes, exactly. That's how it started? Exactly. Okay. So, and how are, like, um, so in terms of um, the style of the wines, how are the wines, how many wines um, does Condé make? Your dad's a winemaker as well, right? Oh, it's uh, over my family estate, in, is the process of the last year, basically. Um, in my family estate, we produce uh, seven wines. Greatest part is Sangiovese, of course, mm-hmm. but what makes the difference uh, in uh, in between my family estate and my wines is the fact that my family owns more vineyards. So it's also owns a different exposition, different soils characteristics. So, for example, in my family estate, we also produce a rosé from Sangiovese uh-huh. from a couple of parcels that are planted on more rich soil, so that tend to get less ripeness, but keep high acidity. And so it's uh, great to uh, to have the chance to work also in different conditions and to create wines that I could not make for from my own uh, vineyards. And um, nowadays the style is becoming more and more elegant also in my family estate. We have um, changed a lot in the last years. Uh, and now I'm taking more and more over that. So I've changed a lot also in terms of, uh, of the cellar, of what we do. Also, my family estate is certified organic since 2018. 
Um, so it's also challenging, but at the same time, super um, rich in, in opportunity. The fact that now uh, I'm taking over also that, so I will have more and more vineyards uh, where to experiment and where to produce wine. Even, of course, the boss is always my father. Uh, so, <laughs> but, but, Chiara, but you are the resident winemaker and also your dad's a winemaker. Do you, do you guys also have a consultant? Um, consulting winemaker, or just it's just you and your dad? No, in my family estate, we work with um, a consultant, which is uh, Federico Staderini. Mm-hmm. You probably may know him because he's a uh, Tuscan. He's a consultant for uh, different wineries uh, like uh, Pozzo di Sotto, Castelli in Villa, but uh, he also has his own uh, uh, estate, so he's also producing wine. And he's actually making great wines up in the Foreste Casentinesi. Um, his home estate is called the Podere Santa Felicita, and the one that he produces, Cuna, which is actually a Pinot Noir from Casentino area. Okay, fantastic. And uh, do you think, I mean, in the future, as you you take over the other winery as well, will there be more of an overlap in terms of styles, or you want to keep the two wineries with? It's distinctive style because they're both organic. They come from more or less the same place, right? Um, will there be yeah. any convergence in the future? Well, of course, I've little by little bring my biggest idea. So the things that I cannot deny also in my family estate. But then, of course, I want to continue to be very respectful about, about what my father has done. Uh, in his life because he has put all his life and all his efforts uh, in the cellar. So at the moment, I'm going to the wines that is the same line. Um, probably, of course, uh, there there are some points in common now, because, uh, but I think they will not be only points in common in between me and uh, my family estate, but that are becoming more and more uh, common in between all the producers. So the respect, uh, this high attention to the environment, uh, the organic, this is something that is becoming, I think, the future uh, as as philosophy. Okay, that's fantastic. Listen, so, uh, Chiara, thank you so much. Bev, thank you so much. I Just before we close, I just wanted to, I don't know if the, uh, the chat messages um, get saved or not. There's Valentina. Um, Severinova, she says, no questions, just I'd like to, um, tell there we are happy, um, tell her that we're happy, I guess, let's tell you, Chiara, to have Chiara wines distributed in Russia, cool, and then we have Pablo, excuse me, (coughs) excuse me, I mean, just my booth, my, by myself, so I'm not, um, Pablo, Fernandez, just to congrat, uh, congratulate Chiara. We're fortunate to have had um, um, her wine because it is sold out now um, here in Brazil. So you have two great fans coming from Russia and Brazil. And with thank that, you. I'm going to close and say thank you very much and see you next week. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao. Thank you. Okay. Arrivederci. Once again, here we go. Swirl, sniff, sip.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali Academy, home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.